This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello and welcome to the UC San Diego Alumni Entrepreneur Panel in partnership with UCSD Extension. One of the things that's exciting about UC San Diego is the innovation that comes out of this university. And uh, no one exemplifies that better than our alumni community. Today I'm excited because we have a group of uh, five alumni on this panel um, that are going to share about their experiences, um, starting their own businesses, helping um, innovate and, and drive innovation. Uh, I'd like to introduce our moderator, Lisa Gordon-Hosh, uh, Marshall, class of 88, uh, who's going to be moderating our panel for us. So thank you, Lisa. It is a great honor and privilege to be with you today, not only as the Small Business Ambassador, but also as a very proud graduate of this outstanding university, UCSD. Any Marshall students out there? All right. <laughs> this is such an amazing university that is constantly uh, evolving, growing, and creating opportunities for the best and the brightest. I always feel such great energy and excitement when I'm back on campus. And it is so great to be back to connect with alumni and discover all that is new, emerging, and thriving at UCSD. As small business ambassador at the city of San Diego, I am part promoter, part advocate, part liaison, and part troubleshooter. So that means I help people connect the dots on starting a business, growing a business, identifying technical assistance, pursuing contracts with the city of San Diego, and troubleshooting regulatory issues. Beyond my role as the small business ambassador, I am also an entrepreneur. I am founder and president of Pearls of Wisdom Seminars, inspiring people, inspiring change, providing keynote speeches and seminars on career development, personal growth, and making a difference. I also provide career strategy sessions to help people achieve meaningful change in their lives and careers. So since graduating from UCSD, I've had an amazing career journey. Prior to becoming the city's first appointed small business ambassador, I changed my career, ready, 12 times. <laughs> That's right, I said 12 times. But it was all for the good and all for the best. And each time I changed, I moved up the ladder of success. Indeed, it has been a very intriguing career path since graduation, and I'm sure some of you can re relate. But I bet I have the record on how many times someone has changed their career. So being open to change in your career can really put you on an exciting career path that you have never imagined. And it has inspired me so much that I decided to write a book on career development that I can't wait to share with the world. So enough about me, let's talk about you. Let's find out who is in our audience today. I want you to raise your hand if you are a graduate of UCSD. Excellent. Welcome back. And raise your hand if you are currently a student at UCSD. Oh, just a few. All right. Raise your hand if you are happy with your current career. Bravely raise your hand if you have had it with your current career. Oh, I meant you're seeking career change. That's what I meant. 
All right, I saw a few hands. Raise your hand if you are an entrepreneur or small business owner. Excellent, welcome. And finally, raise your hand if you are interested in starting a business. Uh, a lot of hands, excellent. You have come to the right place this morning. I have the great privilege of introducing you to a very distinguished, unique, and successful panel of entrepreneurs. This is not just any panel of entrepreneurs. They are entrepreneurs that have graduated from UCSD with very interesting career paths and journeys. They are entrepreneurs from the venture capitalist, high tech, social media, digital media, wireless devices, consumer electronics, and product development industries. And in, in our time together, you will hear about their journey to becoming entrepreneurs, how they launched their business, how they grew their business, possibly failed at their business, overcame obstacles in their business, and finally navigated their way to become the successful entrepreneurs they are today. First, anyone need some startup money? I wish I had known Afif Curry when I started my business. Afif Curry is co-founder and managing member of Scatter Ventures, an early stage high-tech venture fund and incubator, as well as the founder and CEO of Soshi Incorporated, a social media marketing platform. Curry is a member of the board of directors of the San Diego Venture Group, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the venture capitalist ecosystem in San Diego. Prior to joining Scatter Ventures, he was cor a corporate and securities attorney representing emerging growth technology companies, as well as the investors that fund them. Curry led the legal negotiations of more than one hundred venture financings and dozens of acquisitions by companies like Google, Apple, and Cisco, among others. He received his Bachelor of Science degree in Neuroscience and Physiology from UC San Diego prior to studying law and business at Northwestern School of Law and Kellogg School of Management in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Afif Curry. Has anyone seen a self-serve kiosk at the mall that eats cell phones, tablets, and MP3 players for cash? Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Drew Spaventa. Drew Spaventa was part of the founding team of EcoATM, the first company to create an automated self-serve kiosk system to buy back old phones, tablets, or MP3 players for cash. It uses patented advanced machine vision, electronic diagnostics, and artificial intelligence to evaluate electronics. Before joining EcoATM, Spaventa worked for Tyke Global Strategy, a San Diego-based hedge fund specializing in emerging market fixed income. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from UC San Diego and went on to earn his MBA from the Rady School of Management. He is currently working on his Juris Doctorate from University of San Diego's School of Law. Please welcome Drew Spaventa. 
Audience, are there any serial entrepreneurs in our room today? I would like to introduce you to Joya Messinger. Joya Messinger is founder and chief executive officer of Linked Objects Incorporated, a newly formed strategy and product development firm specializing in wireless internet-enabled devices. She was previously founder, chairman, and CEO of Avoc Incorporated, the leader in wire-free video networking products for the consumer market. And prior to Avoc, she founded Summit Design Technologies Incorporated and was part of the team to develop the first wireless endoscopic capsule, otherwise known as PillCam. She is a visiting lecturer and mentor at the Rady School of Management at UCSD and serves on the board of directors of IQ and Vision and Fashioning Change. Messinger has seven patents and seven more pending, by the way. <laughs> she received her Bachelor of Science degree in electrical and computer engineering from UC San Diego. Ladies and gentlemen, Joya Messinger. A question for the UCSD students that currently reside on campus. Do you have a digital community board in your dorm? Anyone? If not, you need to talk to Kalman Chodakiewicz. Kalman Chodakiewicz is co-founder and chief creative officer of Cuddle.com. I don't mean cuddle. I mean Cuddle, C-U-T-T-L-E dot com. A Los Angeles-based startup designed to create supportive and inviting communities by inspiring the sharing of resources between its members. Chodokiewicz co-founded Cuddle.com in 2010 as a platform for fellow artists to share musical collaborations. Since then, it has become an easy tool for students living in college dormitories and beyond to share resources like textbooks, guitars, and bicycles with one another. Chodokiewicz received his Bachelor of Science degree in Cognitive Science from UC San Diego. Please welcome Kalman. First question, after you graduated from UCSD, what was your career plan? Um, well, like everyone else at UCSD, I was going to be a doctor and go to medical school. <laughs> um, but after two weeks there, um, I left, and then I went to law school, and then I went to business school, and I think you read the rest. So like you, I've had many career paths. Um, when a door opened, if it looked enticing, I walked through it. So... I don't know if that answered the question, but I think I'm still answering the question. That's great. Great. Thank you. Drew? Uh, well, I uh, wanted to go to law school and be an attorney since I was in about fifth grade. So uh, I had actually applied and uh, been accepted to law school at USD, um, graduating UCSD. And then uh, I did a joint JD MBA program. And through that program, I discovered that uh, law maybe wasn't as much for me, more business. And uh, I think uh, you heard the rest. Excellent. Thank you. Joya? I had desires to be an engineer from uh, from very young age, and um, I came here to do that, and I never really wanted to be a doctor. The first time I see blood, I would have probably fainted, so I knew that that was not my career path. 
And uh, I did that for a few years, but very quickly worked for a startup and uh, decided that my path was really entrepreneurship. All right. Colin? Um, when I uh, was at school here, I was studying cognitive science, and it was all about you know the brain, and that major was really like a variety of disciplines. So I kind of like didn't know where I wanted to go with that, and then I took this one class on contextual design, and that threw me into like researching the environment around me and i realized whoa like this isn't just in class like you could do this always like as a your own philosophy and that just started uh leading me into starting my own company like an evolution of myself and here i am you know it started from that class and i've been evolving since entrepreneurship and excellent lead into our next question tell us about the evolution of your business and the reason or reasons you decided to become an entrepreneur, Afif? Um, I think probably at some degree every entrepreneur starts with just this gut feeling that uh, I don't want to be at this desk or I don't want to be you know, at this job all the time. I, I want to be inventing. I want to be creating. Um, and so it's when you wake up in the morning and you're doing something you love that you finally understand where you need to be. And I, I think when I started my first company, it was while I was in law school. It's a company called Symptom Care. It was a self-diagnosis system, again, transitioning from the medical thing. Um, then I was trying to get people to actually diagnose themselves, uh, which was a bit radical, but actually we, we started talking to WebMD and started doing some really great things, and then the market tanked. And, you know, you, this, the best part about entrepreneurship is the tumbling. So if any of you surf, you crash, and then you tumble, and then you come up for air and you go get another wave. So same thing. Um, so we tumbled there, and if you tumble and you still love it, uh, then, then you know it's right for you. At least that was in my case. Great. Thank you, Drew. Uh, yeah, for me, it's a little bit similar, actually. Um, so when I was here at the Rady School doing my MBA, I thought I wanted to go into finance, um, and that's where I was putting most of my focus. I had done a number of internships uh, with the hedge fund, uh, with the private equity fund, and um, it wasn't until I heard the idea of Equal ATM pitched in my class, and it just resonated right away. Um, the founder, the one guy that had the idea, his name is Mark Bowles. Uh, about three and a half years ago, he pitched the idea in my class when it was very, very early stage, just getting off the ground. And the minute I heard it, I just said, oh, I, I love that idea. So for, for me, it was really the idea that drew me to it. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I thought it was cool. But, uh, you know, it's risky to start your own, your own venture. And uh, hearing him and knowing that he had some experience and, and hearing that idea was enough to get me to go jump in full bore. And uh, that's kind of what got me started. Now, now I'm hooked. All right. You're hooked. Joya, what about you, serial entrepreneur? <laughs> uh, for me, it, it started, I, I was graduated from UCSD as an engineer, went to work for somebody, pretty large company. And um, there was a consultant that would show up really kind of late and leave early. And I thought, <laughs> well, here I am, 10 p.m. I'm still freaking this out, and uh, and this guy's gone. And I thought, well, he's making a lot more money, and I'm doing all the work, which was a little bit of what was discussed here earlier. But um, and and that was not just one guy. I saw several people do that, and I thought, well, these these people have like something there that they figured out, and I haven't figured it out. And that was really early. It was like within the first two years that I was, um, I was working for somebody. And then I went to work for a startup uh, that was a Linkabit spinoff. Some folks uh, probably know that Linkabit was the predecessor to Qualcomm. 
and um, the folks that uh, put that together were very entrepreneurial. And so uh, I went to work for one of their one of the spinoffs, and um, they were very um, very direct in terms of, hey, you can do pretty much whatever you want here. And I was a very young engineer, and they really did throw me into the frying pan and said, okay, here go for it, go try to do whatever it is that you want to do. And that was, um, it was within the context of the product that they were selling, but they were willing to let me go try stuff out. And uh, once I did that, um, I was, you know, the uh, product manager, I was the marketing person, I was the sales person. I did a lot of the customer support. I learned a lot about what it takes to become a business. And uh, once I did that, I, I created a product for them. And um, once that came out, out of the chute, let's just say, I went to my boss and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to go do this on my own. And he said, oh, are you, are you serious? I said, yeah, you taught me well, and I'm serious. And he said, okay, so let's go over and talk to the CEO. So I went and talked to the CEO, and the CEO hired me as a consultant at the company the next day. So that's how I started my business, and I really tell people to go ahead and do that. If you ever want to leave your job and you really feel this uh, drive to do this on your own, don't leave just you know by saying goodbye leave by leaving a bridge to the employer that you have there. And it's a really good way of kind of trying this out on your own. That's excellent advice. Thank you. Common. Uh, I, I realized that, you know, this was for me when this just clicked in my head. You know, the one thing that I'm not really going to get back is time. Um, and it's not just any other resource. And I realized that's like the core of entrepreneurship is if I don't, act now maybe the idea that's great right now won't be great in the future it has to be you know a response to the environment and so i started i right after graduating i threw myself into the garage the stereotypical guest house garage and i, I had time i didn't have investors i didn't have experience or anything yet and so i just wore all the hats with my with my partner and we we worked and we didn't know exactly what we were doing, but as we started working more, we started realizing that you can add more more things, you can add more team members, and um, yeah, it's just been, you know, at the core of our company, Cuddle, uh, it, it revolves around the cuttlefish, and that's a fish that evolves, it changes its texture, its color, uh, but always always remains itself, and so I thought that's like more, as, as opposed to being a company, it's kind of just, you know, an example of me, uh, I don't know where this company is going to go necessarily, but I'm focused now and I'm responding to, to the environment. And um, that's what's exciting. You know, hopefully I can do all of that in time. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Next question. As entrepreneurs, you know how difficult it, it can be running a business. How did UCSD prepare you for your entrepreneurial journey? You know, it's interesting because when I was here, I'm not sure that I really had found that entrepreneur yet in me, um, but the courses I was taking were kicking my you-know-what, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it was just the work ethic and, and, you know, the competition, and, you know, by the time I got to law school, to be honest, everything else was just kind of a joke. It was like, wow, this is easy. You know, where have I been, you know? Um, 
so I, I think it's, you know, it's, a, it's around people who have a lot of drive and, and, you know, who are relentless and who want to win. And, you know, um, I think just the passion that goes into that can transcend into other things. But it was also just, you know, kind of just the, frankly, the, the amount of work that I put in undergrad made everything else look pretty simple. Thank you. Yeah, I as well didn't know when I was an undergrad that I uh, wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff within the Rady School that helped me a lot. Uh, they did a tremendous amount of mixers. Um, there were classes focused on uh, being an entrepreneur. It's called Lab to Market. It's a series here. Uh, it was one of the most useful classes I took, and it basically teaches you how to build a business plan, uh, what you should be looking out for, and how to actually uh, bring a business uh, into fruition. Um, and uh, even for undergrads here, I know that there's classes now that they can take at Rady School uh, that cover this type of stuff, and there's um, you know, a lot of uh, events and things to get involved with uh, for people that uh, are interested. And I just took advantage of all those. I went to all the speaker events. Um, I took these classes, and um, you know, it just, uh, the, the, the community at Rady actually helped me a tremendous amount. Great. Joya? It's a, it's a very interesting process. When you're a female in an engineering uh, field, it's uh, complicated to say the least. There's not that many of you, so you kind of have to like figure it out on your own. Uh, I also uh, played sports here. I was um, I was in, um, played track. I was probably the shortest person on the basketball team. Um, believe it or not, oh my God, I don't know how they they allowed me to play, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you have these things that are, you know, kind of stacked against you. Well, guess what? As an entrepreneur, you have a ton of stuff that gets stacked against you in life as well. But you endure and you figure out ways to, you know, kind of make the layup in front of the six footer in front of you and you're five two and somehow you figure it out. And that's, um, that's what UCSD taught me. It was, uh, it, uh, you know, as an engineer in a, as a female engineer in a field that uh, in the in the 80s um, there was only like five people in my cl- five women in my class. Um, just maybe that's that's more than I even think there was really. But that's um, that's how it all came about, uh, and it teaches you endurance and uh, resilience. That is really the core aspect of uh, of being an entrepreneur. Excellent. I was actually also on a team. I was on the fencing team. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, our school doesn't necessarily get its athletic credits, but, you know, fencing is actually pretty cool at UCSD. And so even though it's an individual sport, uh, you support each other. And so it's, it's almost like a community of entrepreneurs being on the fencing team. That's, that's what I remember, because at the end of the day, you're still kind of alone in there, um, but you have everyone supporting you, and they advise you, and you get coached, and that mindset of being on a sports team continues on in entrepreneurship. I have mentors, I have advisors, I have friends, and, um, you know, just asking people and, and you know, the, the idea of networking and truly getting support started here. Uh, from the sports aspect, and you could start seeing results, and it's fun. So that's another aspect. You know, it's not just hard; it's you embrace the hardship. It's it's part of the thrill. It's like it's not for everyone, but if you start understanding that, it's kind of like 
you know, rock climbing and you don't necessarily know where the rocks are, but you enjoy rock climbing. That's what entrepreneurship is for me. And so it started in the fencing team and then it continued with, you know, the resources. I took a class at the Ray School, um, Innovation to Market. And that was just as a senior, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll try that out. And um, then I applied that, you know, the athletic background, the mindset to the to innovation to market, and it it made sense. I started b- connecting dots, building bridges, and all your experiences can connect. That's what I realized too. There is no like this is entrepreneurship, this is relationships, and you know this is science. Everything is connected. Everything is categorized, but it's you know being open to seeing the connections and seeing where to focus. That's the challenge, and I started learning that a lot here at UCSD. Great. All right, to close out this series of questions, panelists, in thinking about your career after UCSD, I want you to fill in the blanks of this sentence. I thought I was going to be a blank, but instead I became blank. Coleman, you get to go first. I thought I was going to be an NBA basketball player. <laughs> then, then 10th grade but hit. But instead I became. But instead I became cuddle. <laughs> All right. Joya. <laughs> well, he stole my line there, but uh, <laughs> um, a world-renowned football, a soccer player since I was born in Bolivia. Um, but instead I became? A damn good entrepreneur in San Diego. Excellent. <laughs> Drew. Uh, I thought I was going to be an attorney, uh, but instead I am a cell phone recycler. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. A thief. So you all know at this point I thought I was going to be a doctor, and instead I became a project which is still ongoing, I think. Oh, excellent. Beautiful responses, don't you think? Yes, I love it. All right. Our next series of questions focus on the joy, the thrill, the agony, and sometimes the defeat on the journey to becoming an entrepreneur. This series of questions is entitled On Becoming an Entrepreneur. Question. What personal qualities or traits must one have to start, own, or operate their own business? Common. The first trait is persistence, I think. Um, Never stop. Uh, my, My business partner gave me this great quote the other day. When someone says no to you, smile. It's great news. You're only 99 no's away from a yes. <laughs> That's great. So persistence is the key. Uh, the second quality I'd say is passion. Be excited about what you're doing. Anything you do is going to be challenging by nature. If someone tells you you're an entrepreneur and you don't have a boss, it's not true. We all have bosses. If it's not you know, your boss that hired you, it's your investors that invested in you. And at the end of the day, it's also, you know, the government that collects your taxes. Like, there's always someone in the food chain. Uh, Whatever it is, except that there's always growth potential in anything you do. So, persistence and passion. Great. Joya. Um, I agree with those two. Uh, I will add, 
be a team player because um, there's no, there's no business of one person. That's called you know you. Um, a business is really key to a business is the people you have around you, and learn from others because as a, as an entrepreneur you'll learn quickly that you can't do everything. If you can't, you know, if you think you can, then you're not going to be able to grow your business. So one of the uh, very classic aspects of a, of a entrepreneur, uh, early stage entrepreneur, is that they want to do everything. And you quickly realize that you can't grow a business uh, unless you bring people around you and you can get along with them. And you can understand when a person's not working out for you. Uh, we all saw the social network and uh, businesses are founded and oftentimes the founders that you're with don't work out for you. So you have to have a quality of being able to really determine quickly that somebody's not working out for you. So you can be a team player, but at the same time you have to be a coach and you have to also uh, be very good at reading people and early on determining whether somebody's going to work out for you or not. So... Um, and needless to say, resilience and, um, and, and all the aspects of being able to just keep trying until you get it are very important. Thank you. Drew, what's your response? Discipline and adaptability. Um, discipline because early on, um, a lot of times you don't have a boss if you're at a startup. You're, you're in charge of your own destiny. If you come into work and you know, you're not feeling well. There's not necessarily someone there to, to motivate you or to say you have to do this. A lot of times it's you're, you're self-creating, you're self-managing yourself. So I think you need to be disciplined in that respect. I also think you need to be disciplined in focusing and, and not trying to, you know, one of the pitfalls a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is they try to do too many things at once. Um, an example, at EcoATM, uh, we wanted to build an automated machine that would uh, identify and buy back used electronics, plural, many types. Uh, it's the you know crawl, walk, run mentality. Before we can build a machine that takes back everything, we need to figure out just cell phones. And while you have you know some people in the company that say you know oh we have ten pilot machines out, we need other device categories, we need revenue, we you know we need to get moving on these things. You know you got to balance that with well if we don't really quite have our minds wrapped around how to do cell phones, is it really smart for us to branch out into other categories yet? Um, so being disciplined and just realizing that you need to be focused and disciplined on, on one step at a time, I think is important. And then adaptability. Um, when I came into the company, I was, uh, sales and marketing. Uh, in the first year and a half I was doing marketing stuff and I loved it. Um, what I found out is that as we started growing the company, there were other needs. Uh, and now, uh, you know, two years from when I was, uh, doing marketing, I am now the director of compliance and I have 15 people under me. The reason being is as the company grew, we realized that, well, compliance is actually a pretty important part of this business. And, uh, you know, I had to kind of use my skills to, to do what was needed best for the business and uh, be adaptable. So those are my two. Discipline and adaptability. All right. Well, those are all really good. So I'm going to maybe go to the dark side for a second. But I, I would say uh, I'd say have some nightmares. Um, you know, dreaming is great, but have some nightmares because I think your innovation will come out of your nightmares. And if you're not staying up at night, then you're in your own dreamland and um, you're going to have a harsh reality because there are a lot of nightmares in entrepreneurship. And the more you get used to that, the better. And then stand on some shoulders. I mean, I think uh, Isaac Newton said, if I can see beyond the horizons because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, realize there's people around you that do things better than you do and you do things better than they do. And if you can leverage human capital, it's 
probably the, 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 you know, the best kind of capital you can get. All right. Another fill-in-the-blank opportunity. I thought having my own business was going to be blank, but actually it is blank. Common. <laughs> I thought having my own business was going to be was going to be easy, <laughs> but actually it is. But actually, it is very, 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 very challenging. <laughs> All right, Joy. I thought that having my own business was going to allow me to have more time to myself and travel the world. <laughs> but in reality, um, it's a lot of work, and, uh, but I was still able to get to 71 countries so far. All right. Two. Um, I thought uh, having my own business was going to be all fun. Uh, instead, I found out it's a roller coaster. Wow. That's true. Um, and I thought having my own business would be very lucrative. <laughs> I'm still hoping it will be. But there are times when you're tightening the belt. Yeah, that's true. All right. Our next series of questions focuses on the startup phase. The startup phase can be challenging, as we've heard, and there are conflicting beliefs on what it takes to start a business. Our theme for this round of questions, start me up, and dispel the myths. Question, did you write a business plan when you started your business? Why or why not, Afif? Uh, no, the truth is you should have a business plan, but I, I don't think it's where you start. Um, you, you put it down, you talk to some people, it's going to evolve. Uh, I've, I'm yet to see a business that from the first time it was put on paper to when it got executed and, and actually um, became successful was that same plan. Uh, so I would say, yes, it's a great exercise. At some point, you absolutely need to go through that exercise because there are a lot of th issues to think through, and a business plan helps you do that. But it's not going to help you raise money. It's not going to help you inspire other people to join you. Um, it's, it's the idea. It, you know, put it on paper, one pager, um, float it by some people, and, and get going. Do certainly don't wait to have this 40-page you know, plan that nobody's going to read. <laughs> All right, Drew. What do you think? So that's that's really funny. So, um, not necessarily disagree, but that my experience was was a little bit different. So we had a business plan when we started Eco ATM, uh, and I remember my mentor Mark Bowles. Uh, he called something the, the thud factor, um, and he spent a lot, a lot of time on the business plan, uh, looking at all different parts of it. And for him, it was almost, I think, the way that he was able to start to really develop the comprehensive understanding about the business by going through it multiple times. And the thud factor was the 100 or 200 pages thick of, um, you know, research uh, papers, white papers, the business plan, everything that he would give to um, the VCs when we were pitching them. Um, now, maybe to his point, we had to pitch about 100 of them before we got funded. So <laughs> may maybe the thud factor was, wasn't working for us. But uh, he did spend a lot of time. And as a company, we spent a lot of time on our business plan. And I remember the first six months I was looking at it um, almost weekly. All right. Two differing viewpoints on the business plan. What about you, Joya? 
The first business I started, no business plan. Um, it was just basically, hey, this guy's working a few hours. I'm working a bunch of hours. I'm out of here kind of thing. I, I need That's to figure out. Yeah, that was the plan. Uh, the, the plan was, uh, you know, how many vacation days could I have instead of. Uh, so the second business uh, that I had uh, recently, I sold it last year. Uh, it was a venture back company. And yes, we did have a business plan. And um, it was the the plan kind of uh, evolved because how it started was we had a, uh, it started as a SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research Grant, grant from the Department of Defense and, um, and DARPA. And we never really intended it to be a defense contract company. Uh, never had that in mind. We always wanted to create a consumer product. But the question was, how do you morph a $100,000 grant into an $8 million grant, uh, which is what we ended up with, and then into several rounds of venture capital and then selling the business. So there's no question that um, things evolve and and our intention was never really to be a, a defense contractor. That's where we got our seed money, and that's how we were able to leverage that into a venture capital-based uh, business or venture capitalizable business. Um, but um, without a business plan, um, let's just say I didn't really write a 200-page uh, business plan. That never really happened. What happens is you create a pitch and you know your 200 pages in the back of your mind because you, you have to explain the business in 20 minutes and you have m several hundreds of meetings uh, trying to um, get money from folks. So without really having a cool, nice presentation that really tells uh, people why they should invest in you, it'd be very hard for anybody really to do it. Okay. Call me. I'm going to start by saying that I had a business plan at first, and then I realized, why do I even need investment? I can just start the business. And so that's what we did. We just started working. We realized, oh, if we don't raise money, I guess we'll just raise revenue. And so that's what we started doing. And that started building more value. And then we started realizing to expand our business, it would be helpful to have investors. And we then that's when you need a business plan. But ultimately, I don't think the investors read the business plan. <laughs> I just don't. Um, but we wrote it. <laughs> ultimately, if you... They didn't read it. <laughs> if, if you treat your, you know, your business as it has a life of its own, like this baby, and, you know, well, if I don't feed it money from investors, it's going to die. It's, it's the wrong attitude. It's going to fail. And your investors are going to be very sad with you when you deplete their money because you're going to like say, oh, wow, look, we're successful. We raised money. No, you just gained a ton of responsibility. And now you, the nightmares start. Because before, no one is you know, holding you necessarily accountable aside from yourself. And so uh, what I learned is, you know, start the business, learn from the experiences, the re build relationships that will last, that even if you make mistakes, you can grow past them because you have a, a, a true relationship with those people. You're honest about your passion, you're persistent, you're open to learning. Um, that's, that's what I realized. And 
having the business plan or having investors doesn't mean that your business is going to succeed. And, you know, like, like we were saying, human capital, uh, the team that's around you really is the core because you can lose your office, you can lose your investors, but if you have people that you're working with, eventually you'll get there again. You know, you'll get those no's until you get that yes. And uh, that's what I learned doing this is not to depend on investment. And in fact, when you do that, people start wanting to invest in you. Great, great responses. Still conflicting beliefs about the business plan, right? <laughs> All right, next question. If you had to start your business over again, what would you do differently? Joya, we'll start with you. Um, I uh, would think twice about getting venture capital, uh, or maybe twice is not enough of a number. I would think a hundred times uh, before uh, getting investors involved. Uh, there's a, a, quite a bit of freedom, like he was just saying, in uh, kind of running, running your own show. and uh, not ha It's like being a public company and having to deal with the public. Um, you know, when you have investors, there is um, certain um, difference, dis different forces that are forcing you to do certain things. Uh, they may have something that has nothing to do with your business, but they may want you to exit this year because they are raising a new fund the following year or something like that. So it, it, it uh, creates all sorts of uh, dichotomies in terms of how you run a business. And it's similar to, I, I've never run a public company, but I hear uh, folks um, that run public companies and they don't necessarily follow a, their own plan, but instead they oftentimes have to report quarterly. And so it's all about the quarterly reporting. So um, definitely think about uh, getting investors involved again. Um, at, and you have to think of that very, very deeply when you, when you go for that. Oh, interesting response. So I actually want to go to Afif now. What is your response to that? Go to the dark side. <laughs> no, I actually agree with her. Oh, um, you agree? Well, in the sense that, yeah, those are, those are all fantastic points and obstacles with venture capitalists. And, you know, sometimes people think, yeah, hey, I'll get VC money because it'll help me not make mistakes. Well, better pick the right one because, you know, VCs are money managers and some of them have done companies and some haven't. And so... You should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you, and it's you know it's a marriage in some ways. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls, and I don't disagree with what she said. And I would always tell a company to go as long as they can before raising money, makes them more valuable, and uh, and gives them better clarity on what they want to achieve and who who to achieve it with. Um, so uh, so but, if you were going to start your business again, what yeah. Would you do so so regarding my business, I, I think maybe I would have taken more time to launch it, and and uh, you know. A lot of times you have an idea, you want to get out there, et cetera. Uh, in our case, we were missing some key people. And, and had we had them before the launch, I think that would have, would have helped. But, you know, it's really, in general, no regrets. It's one of those things where you're going to learn from every project to project. And, and uh, the dynamics are always going to be different. So, yeah, you just kind of roll with it. All right. Drew, your response. So I think my experience is a little bit different than theirs just because uh, I'm the younger person in my company, and I don't run my company. Um, I'm on the founding team, but I have uh, several people that are making the decisions. I have a voice and a seat at the table, but it's not, they're not my decisions to be made. So I think the one thing that I might have done a little bit differently has been 
uh, more assertive and more persistent early on with things that I maybe had a gut feeling about or opinions I had. Uh, it's very easy when you're in a room full of um, you know people that have done this many times and are older than you um, to get overshadowed, and it's very easy for them to um, you know be a little bit intimidating at times. So I think it's just being comfortable if you have a gut feeling about something, if you're if you're confident in your opinion, just making sure that that um, you know you're you're persistent, and get it across. Now I have everyone's ear um, a lot differently than I did maybe two or three years ago, but the decisions that could have been made then would have had a big impact on, on some of the stuff that I'm dealing with now on a day-to-day. So uh, I would say just if you feel confident about something, make sure you're, you're persistent and, and uh, you, know, you get your point across regardless of who you're working with. Very good. And common. Definitely take more data and analyze it. Um, basically, when I started, I wanted to move at the speed of light. I wanted to do everything. I felt great all the time. I was meeting people. And I just realized, oh, time is passing. I'm kind of in the same spot. <laughs> That's what I realized. So it's a simple little thing, a little thing like, oh, here's five things I want to do. Did I end up doing them this week? Oh, no, I didn't hit my expectations. Or I did hit my expectations. Maybe I'm not challenging myself enough. These, these little things over time, playing on both sides, maybe take one week and you know, overestimate what you can do. Then take one week and kind of underestimate, but ultimately you want to find that, like, area that you can expand upon. So uh, I wish I started that sooner, definitely. All right. It's time to move on to our speed round. Panelist, are you ready for our speed round? (laughs) I'm going to ask you a question, and you can only answer with one word. Describe your personality in your first year of business. Drew. Confused. A thief. A mess. Calman. Social. <laughs> Joya. Thick-headed. Ah, that's two words. No. <laughs> or is that a hyphenated word? Okay, we'll take hyphenated. All right, next question or a statement. Actually, this is a question. If you had to sum up your startup journey in one word, what would it be? A thief. Exciting. Joya. Himalayas. Ah, she was in the Himalayas for your startup. All right. Drew. Unknown. Kalman. Ocean. Ah, ocean. Mm, I like that. I like that. Last speed round question. If you had to describe your career journey in one word, what would it be? Coleman? Evolutionary. True. Success. A thief? A revolutionary. Ooh, Joya. I'll go with the Amazon this time. One word. <laughs> All right, give them a round of applause for the speed round. Now it's time for lessons learned as an entrepreneur. This is our, uh, uh, what have you learned during your time as an entrepreneur? I'm going to just give you an open question. So if this question applies to you, we would love to hear your response. Have you ever experienced failure in starting a business? If so, how many times did you fail before experiencing success with your startup business? 
I think I mentioned the first one when I was in law school. I don't know if it was a failure, but certainly bad timing, and ultimately I didn't make any money out of it, so that's a failure, I suppose. Um, uh, but um, so, so I'm on my third now. My second one w- was successful. I was able to sell that, and um, and now the third one is is going in the right direction. But uh, like I said, if you tumble and you get back up and you want to do it again, then then you will. All right. Any other responses on that question? I'll respond. I'm not going to call it failure. I'm just going to call it an opportunity. That's what I learned. Kind of helps me sleep at night and embrace those nightmares. <laughs> I like nightmares now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, oh, if, I, if something didn't go according to plan, that's what I'm going to call it, then it's a chance for me to look at it and not do that same mistake, I'll, I'll call that, you know, but I wouldn't say it's a failure, really. It's just a chance for me to learn. Hopefully it's not on a scale where I can't have a chance to do it again, you know, but... All right. We do need to move on to our next section. Uh, Audience, did you know that there are riches in the niches? This next set of questions for our panelists are focused on either the niche you carved out in your industry or what might be next for your industry. So these are individual questions I have for you pertaining to your particular business or industry. So this section is called, What Now or What's Next? A thief. As a high-tech venture fund and incubator type of business, can you share about any of the new technologies or companies that Scatter Ventures is funding? Sure. Um... My favorite is a company called Famgrow Farms. It's a vertical farming operation that can grow anywhere in the world using less than 3% of the water, 1% of the land, and totally weather and seasonally agnostic. Uh, I think ag and food is an incredible area. Obviously, the market's huge, but but the world is suffering. Um, Food production is up 30% compared to populations 200% over the last 40 years. So uh, there's some, some incredible opportunities there to bring technology into agriculture. Um, it hasn't been a large focus, but I think it should be. And I think you'll see more and more funds and investments in that area. Hmm, interesting. Coleman, a question for you. And what's next for Cuddle.com? How do you plan to grow your business further? So we plan to definitely focus more on technology, uh, and expand not just into software, but into hardware. And it's kind of ambiguous, but there's a lot of exciting things that you can do when you're in a community where you have qualitative research that you can conduct, as opposed to making a, a site that connects with millions of people you know, for one day. We're trying to focus on connecting with potentially a smaller group of people, but for the entire year, every single day in the places that they share together, the places that they live, their communities. So creating technologies in hardware and technology, uh, hardware and software that bring out uh, community culture and strengthen relationships between neighbors and property management and residents. That's where we're focusing, continuing, developing, innovating that direction. Excellent, great. The next question is for Drew. As a member of the founding team of EcoATM, do you see, are there, were there other ways that you think that the founding team 
in developing the eco ATM, is there anything you think they might have done differently with that? One thing that I think I would have done differently or we could have done a little bit differently relates to the consumer experience aspect of, of the eco ATM. Um, our CEO comes from a chip background. He was CEO of a big company. He wasn't a consumer experience guy. Um, the eco ATM is a consumer experience. You're, you have touch points with the machine, with our app, with our website. Uh, I would have um, put more time and resources into the overall consumer experience. Um, you know, the, the Steve Jobs example, anything that someone does with an Apple product, it's a touch point on them. They're going to remember that, whether it's the box, the wrapping of uh, your iPhone to going to iTunes, to every single thing around that brand uh, leaves an impression. And over time, it develops the you know, consumer's you know, mindset of what that brand is. We had so much early success with putting out our boxes. They made a lot of money um, that we didn't uh, put as much time and effort as I would have liked into the whole consumer experience aspect of, of the company. So, again, it's one of those things where it's hard to really, you know, knock it because the boxes do really well out there. Um, people see them. They use them. They generate revenue. Um, design of the box, how it looks, um, some of the website look and feel, um, the, the app. I think there, there definitely are a lot of places that if we had identified it and focused on it earlier on, it would have just been a, a better consumer experience. And it's something that we're now working on and will get better. Um, but if you ask what something would have done differently from the beginning, it was probably uh, keep in mind that ultimately we are a consumer-facing product and uh, the consumer experience long-term as we scale is going to be pretty important to our brand. All right. Joy, wrap it up just real quick on what's next in the wireless internet-enabled devices arena. Uh, well, this is a time where everything is connected. Um, we're talking about billions and billions of, of devices being connected besides your cell phone, your refrigerators, your, um, your watches, um, even your shirts, your shoes. All sorts of stuff is going to become connected, and you're going to be able to quantify and determine what's going on with your home, with yourself, with uh, with your dogs, I mean, all sorts of absolutely everything will become connected. This we're living in a connected world, and so uh, one area that I'm focused on is on um, medical devices and uh, especially the quantify self movement, which uh, has a lot to do with. You've probably seen the Fitbit or uh, the Nike uh, products out there that are determining. Uh, they're they're kind of glorified um, uh, pedometers, but soon enough they will be much more than that. They will be able to determine, you know, your height, your weight, your your blood pressure, your absolutely everything about you, and help you in determining how you should conduct your life. And um, there is, I'm I'm a judge for the um, X Prize uh, uh, Nokia sensing uh, project. And, and that is, you know, talking and looking at very interesting sensing devices that will be put into the hands of consumers to quantify our health. Um, and I think in the next 10 years, you're going to see a lot of very interesting stuff happening with that. All right. We have run out of time. Can you believe it? Did you enjoy this alumni entrepreneur panel? Are you inspired? Yes. Who wants to start their business now? 
<laughs> oh, little people are afraid now. Oh, my. Well, as a graduate of UCSD, as the city small business ambassador, as the moderator of this outstanding panel, give them another round of applause. I want, I want to let you know that it's been my great privilege being with all of you today. I want to thank you for being here today. We hope uh, that you've enjoyed this por portion of UCSD's Career Boost Camp. And here's to your success. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.